Well, good morning, happy Sunday, and welcome to week three of a sermon series I'm really excited about called Trending. A uh, quick review, just in case you're jumping in for the first time today. Uh, if you're watching at home and you missed the last two weeks, we kicked off this series by talking about the phrase, science is real. Uh, Pastor Michael preached that. Uh, I think it's one of the best sermons he's ever preached at this church. And if you struggle with the relationship between faith and science, between the Bible and human reason, uh, you got to go online and listen to that message. Uh, last week, we tackled the phrase, God told me. I feel like God is leading me. I, I think this is a sign from God. How do you know exactly when God is communicating with you and when he isn't? Um, any of you here last week for that sermon? Uh, I'm calling that officially the cardinal sermon. It's when we wrestled with, do, does God send red birds into your yard to communicate with you? Quick story, guess what happened to me all week? <laughs> Number one, like a thousand of you sent me pictures of cardinals just to mess with me. <laughs> a woman who was here for the very first time, a young woman, uh, came to church exploring the Christian faith. I had coffee with her. She's like, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. And she shows me uh, a picture of a tattoo. It's, it's this big on her arm. And guess what it's of? A red cardinal. Then yesterday, I go on a run. At five separate occasions, I see cardinals. I come, I come back. I shower. I'm sitting there reading a book, uh, kind of by the picture window on my couch. And we have this little, uh, what's it called? A shepherd's crook where you hang flowers off. And I looked outside. I'm like, wouldn't that be crazy if a cardinal landed there? And 30 minutes later, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. A cardinal lands. Its tail feathers are pointing towards the window. And I'm watching this like, what are the odds? And it just lifts up the tail feathers and poops right in front of me. <laughs> so I get it. Okay, I'll stop making fun of your birds, God. So did God do that? I think so, but I'm not sure. So you got to check out that message God told me. Which brings us today to week number three. So what do the movies Moana, Mulan, Monsters, Inc., the Greatest Showman, Coco, Aladdin, Brave, and Beauty and the Beast all have in common. All of them, if you watch and take notes and listen carefully, all of them actually have the same moral and the same message. And that message is, be you. Like your, your parents might want you to fit the mold of, you know, what your family does. Your culture and your community might have these expectations that you're going to be like this. But if you find something different within your heart, the only way for us all to live happily ever after is if you be you. If you are true to you. If you're honest with yourself and live out your genuine, authentic identity. That is the way that the modern world works. I just think through the plots of all these and, and many more movies with me. Have you seen the movie Turning Red? You know, Maylin, you're not just a 13-year-old girl. You are part panda. So what should you do? By the end of the movie, you should be you. You should be a girl who's also part panda. Hey, have you seen Coco before? Like, Miguel, you're not just a shoemaker from a Mexican family. You are a musician. So, agarra tu guitarra, tocala bien. Huh? Grab your guitar, play it well. Be you and everyone will see it's beautiful when you do. Have you seen Monsters, Inc.? Mike and Sully, you don't hate children. You don't want to scare them. You're here to entertain them. So we need to flip the script. You need to be you. Have, have you heard the stories of Belle and Jasmine and Merida and Mulan? 
You're not helpless princesses needing to be arranged in some marriage by your father. You are book reading, kingdom running, bow and arrow firing, sword swinging warrior princesses. Be you. Bearded lady, have you seen The Greatest Showman? You're not a circus freak. This is you. Don't hide. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. World, this is me. I'm going to live it out with confidence and joy. Only then will life be worth living. In movie after movie, this is the essential plot line. The tension is what I find inside is different than the expectations that people have. And there's conflict and my parents don't get it and my culture doesn't get it. But if I'm bold enough and if I'm brave enough to live out what I find inside, if I'm authentically me, the story ends well. Be you. So, let's take a vote. Best message in the universe, worst message in the universe, somewhere in between, everyone give me your vote. Be you, authentically you. Live your truth. Good thing, bad thing, middle thing. (laughs) I I got a little bit of everything that I'm looking at right now. (laughs) It's actually a really good question, right? Because you are different than your parents and you are unique from your neighbors. And what you're good at, what you're bad at, what you're passionate about is distinct from your brothers and sisters. What you find inside your heart isn't the same as what's in your best friend's heart. Where I thrive and where I don't is distinct from you. So really, what, what should we do when people say, be like this and do this, and we feel something differently, should we give in? Should we submit and be like a, you know, a round peg in a square hole? Or should we try to convince someone that we're unique and we're different and we're divinely designed in a special way by God? Should we try to convince our parents and our friends and our community and our culture and our elders to repent and change their minds? Or should we be the ones to do that? It's a tough question. Or put it another way. When you think about your kids or your friends, or the president of this country, or your boss? Do you want them to just do what they feel? Do you want them to be themselves? It's a bit complicated, isn't it? (laughs) Here's the interesting thing. I've been digging into the Bible, trying to examine the number one message of modern times. Uh, Because it's not just for little kids watching animated movies and films. This is what we are, it's the water we swim in in modern American culture. So what does God think about be you? Does he want you to be true to yourself, to look inside and to live that out? Well, I want you to grab a pen and if you're watching at home, I want you to grab a pen too because here's the answer that I found in the Bible that I want to unpack for you today. Uh, According to the scriptures, here's what God says. Be you! Exclamation point. Asterisk. (laughs) That's my theme for today. Be you, God says. Not with an ellipsis or a period or a question mark. No, put an exclamation point on that. God wants you to be you. And terms and conditions do apply. (laughs) So today, let's unpack those two parts. How does God say, where does God say be you? And where does he say, but let's talk about this first. Let's tackle that first part. Be you the Bible says. A little bit embarrassing to admit, but I think, to be honest with you, it took me about 35 years 
to figure out me. You think spending every second of every minute of every day with myself, I would have come to that conclusion earlier, but it took me a really long time to figure out who I am and who I'm not, what I do well and what I don't, the situations where I'm really a gift to people and the situations where I'm a curse, the the things that I, I tend to help people and the areas where unintentionally I tend to hurt people took me 35 years to figure that out. Two quick stories. Um, Speaking at this big event, I'm in front, on stage, all eyes on me. It's like a big fundraising event for a ministry I'm connected to. And I'd ask people in the crowd, hundreds and hundreds of people, to just shout out their favorite Bible passages, which, of course, the extroverts in the room loved, right? So people are shouting out Bible passages, and as soon as they would shout out like a phrase from the Bible or even just a reference from the Bible, a chapter and a verse, I would shout back where it came from. So, I love Psalm 23, Pastor. Oh yeah, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, Pastor. Ooh, Romans 8, verse 28, that's a classic. I can do everything through Jesus who gives me strength. Oh, that's Philippians 4, verse 13. Almost as good as Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Be still. I know that I'm God. One person said, Psalm 46, verse 10. One of my favorites. And, and we're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. They're shouting. I'm, I'm connecting the dots. And I remember looking out of the corner of my eye and seeing this guy whispering with eyes wide open to the person next to him. Wow. And like that, that hit me. Like, wait, this is super impressive to that guy. I mean, to me, it was like, it's like walking. <laughs> Like my brain would just process at super fast speed. My experience with the Bible could capture it all and I could give it back. And I've kind of realized that God has made me uniquely gifted to learn things like a sponge to soak in knowledge and podcasts and documentaries and chapters and verses and then at the right time to just squeeze them out. If people need a truth from a specific part of the Bible, I'm, I'm really, 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 really good at that. Story number two. During my first year at this church, I was counseling this young woman. Uh, scratch that. I was attempting to counsel this young woman. And things were not going well. Scratch that. Things were going about as well as the Titanic's journey across the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> I was thinking of Bible passages, like turning to the right page, reciting them off the top of my head, and it was not the right time for that. In fact, at one point, the counseling was so bad, she just looked at me, she shook her head, and she asked, Pastor, didn't you ever have to take a counseling class? (laughs) And you should not be mad at her, because if you would have been in the room, you would have been thinking the exact same thing. The answer is, yes, I did. Yes, I got an A, and that didn't make me a good counselor. And I've kind of learned over the years that not everyone reaches out to the pastor because they want a chapter and a verse. Right? My brain is just instinctively wired to think like, oh, Philippians 4, oop, Psalm 23, oop, Romans chapter 8, oop, boom, boom. That's all I'm thinking in my head. But sometimes people don't want that. Husbands, have you learned this about your wives sometimes? Like, sometimes they want advice and sometimes they don't. Sometimes people don't need like the, the right answer from the Bible. Sometimes they just need to be understood. They need someone to say that, 
That's terrible. I'm so sorry you're going through that. And I've just learned from my experience that when things are really complex or they're really emotional, I'm really not good at that. I try to be. I want to help people as best I can. It's not like I'm saying, sorry, you're out of luck. This is just me. I want to, but rarely does anyone come back years later and say, Pastor, you know, when you counseled me through that tough time, you were such a gift. Like, like no, one, no one says that. And so I'm starting to realize, okay, Mike, this is you and this isn't. This is where you should just like step up and volunteer and these are the times where you need to get help or people are going to get hurt. So how about you? Have you figured out who you are and who you aren't? As you think back on your own history, can you kind of see those times when you've really helped people or those times when you frustrated or hurt people? In other words, do you know you? Because God wants you to. Let me show you this amazing passage from Romans chapter 12. That's the Apostle Paul, a Christian, writing to an early church, and he says to the members of that church, For just as each of us has one body with many members, different parts of your body, your arms, your eyes, your ears, and these members or parts do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, the people, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have, here's a big word for today, different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. You catch that there? We have different gifts. You don't expect your ears to see well. You don't expect your eyes to hear well. You don't expect your belly button to kick a soccer goal. That'd be interesting. Different parts of the body have different purposes and strengths. And the Apostle Paul says that's the same for Christians. We have different gifts. These members do not all have the same function. God God is saying, in a sense, be you. (laughs) We don't yell at our ears to start smelling better. We let them be ears. We have earish expectations of them. And the Apostle Paul makes this beautiful analogy that's actually so practical and helpful. And he says, people are like that too. You would not say to a sumo wrestler, what do you think about track? (laughs) Right? We'd say, be you. (laughs) So here's my big question. Who are you? Like, some of you have a gift of teaching. Ever notice that teachers aren't just like the smart people. They're not people who are great at memorizing things. They're the people who can communicate something clearly and understandably to others. And any of you, when you were new to the church, did you ever go to the Bible class and ask a question and someone really smart, like, raised their hand and they, like, rambled on for seven minutes and at the end you said, you didn't answer my question? Yeah. But some people have the ability to teach. And, and they answer it in a clear way with words that you can understand. They have a gift from God. And some of you have that gift. And you don't need to become a pastor to use it. Right? Some of you with your little kids, you're going you're gonna to teach them the values, why you believe what you believe. You're going to be really, really good at that. Some of you are going to be at the factory. You're going to be the, the nurse at the hospital and someone new is going to be there with wide eyes and zero experience. And you're going to be the one to help them get comfortable and learn the ropes. 
you can teach. Uh, some of you are the aunts or the uncles, the grandparents who can take little kids and you can teach them how to fish and you can teach them how to change the oil in the car as they get older and you can teach them these things we love about Jesus. You cannot just teach them the words of the Lord's Prayer, but what it means. If that's your gift, do you know what God is saying to you today? Be you. Like, man, the world needs you. Don't, don't be like everyone else. Be you. Do some of you have the gift of compassion? I need you. <laughs> you should just come to every counseling session with me, right? You, maybe you don't have the Bible memorized, but you, you just naturally feel big. And that is, that's so important. I, I sometimes get jealous of that gift because I, I see the good that it does for people. Right? If that's your gift, if you just you know, instinctively resonate with people on an emotional level, God is saying, be you. You don't have to ace the ACT. You don't have to teach the class. Just be there for people in their time of need. They need you. We need you. Be you. And if you good at fixing things, who likes to tinker here? Um, whenever something goes wrong in my house, I just call like some people I know from church because it's not, I don't know what end of the hammer to hold. <laughs> yeah, but some of you don't get overwhelmed by complex situations. You're curious about them. And you want to take the thing apart. You want to figure out what's wrong with the computer. You want to solve the complex problem you love. Uh, that's why I love working with Pastor Michael. He's brilliant at this, right? When I get into complex counseling, I'm like, I don't know what the, the problem is, but he does, right? So if that's you, be you. Right, so you get my point, right? You got, you got to figure out what your gift is and then God wants you and we actually need you to be you. I, I can't do what you do. He can't do what you do. You can't do what she does. So the Bible says we have different gifts. Let's use them together. So how do you figure this out? How have I figured this out? I want to give you three quick resources that might help in your journey to discover you. You might want to write these down. Uh, number one is a sermon series we preached uh, a couple years ago called Some Assembly Required. I know lots of you are new to our church or you're watching at home. So we spent four whole weeks kind of breaking down Bible passages like this, helping people to figure out who they are and how we work together. Number two, my second favorite book of all time. Here's the first one. Here's the second one. This is called Strengths Finders. Have you heard of it before? Uh, I honestly did not get who I was until I took the survey, read this book, and dug into its wisdom. I, I did not understand the woman I was married to until she took the test and I said, that's why we fight. <laughs> right? right? I'm this and you're this and there's strengths to each of those, but I didn't, I didn't get you and you didn't get me. I cannot recommend this book Highly enough. Strings finders, you can find it online, take the quiz or read the book. Or, last of all, if you want a Christian flavor, uh, here's a book that some of you can grab in our lobby for free. Uh, Time of Grace has donated, I think, 50 copies called Gifted for More. Uh, if you're watching at home, just go to timeofgrace.org, click on the store, type in Gifted for More, and I think you can get these copies pretty cheap. Um, this book is an overview of what the Bible has to say about our differences in gifts. It ends with a 95 question quiz that will help you figure out who you are. Because the Apostle Paul knows we need you. Like, you might not be the one to stand on stage, but you are necessary in the body of Christ. And so, with an exclamation point at the end, God is saying to you, be you. As I wrap up part one here, um, 
Do you know what David did before he fought the giant named Goliath? Right before he picked up those stones and grabbed his sling and ran off to go to war and drop the giant, this doesn't show up in the kids' Bibles. Do you know what happened? He decided to be himself. King Saul, the king of Israel, was shaken in his boots. He didn't want to fight the giant. But this little shepherd boy, David, steps forward. I'll, I'll fight him with faith in his heart. And Saul was thinking, you're going to die. <laughs> so he took his armor, the best armor, the royal armor. He put it on David. And the Bible actually says, you can read this in 1 Samuel 17, that David starts walking around in Saul's armor and it doesn't fit and it doesn't work. And David says to the king, this isn't me. Like, when I fight, when my flock is in trouble and some lion comes out of the thicket, I don't reach for a sword and a shield and some shiny armor. I grab a stone and my sling and I defend my flock. And so David took off Saul's armor. He grabbed what he knew and he ran to fight the giant and the rest is history. So, what should you do? Part one, God says, be you. Asterisk. <laughs> All right, we're moving to part two. Uh, the Bible's emphatic, be you. You're uniquely gifted, but there are some terms and conditions that apply. Uh, that woman on the Amazon review certainly remembered them. In my research on the topic of BU, I found out that there was a children's book written not too long ago called BU. Super popular book. It had 1,740 reviews on Amazon when I checked, and the vast, vast majority were five star, huge praise for the encouraging message of this kid's book. In fact, out of 1,740 reviews, only three of them were one-star reviews, harsh critiques. And out of those three, two of the three loved the message of the book, just something went wrong with the shipping and the cover was damaged, whatever, which left, out of 1,740 reviews, just that one. Do you want to know what it said? Because I want to tell you. <laughs> the subject line was, Delusional view of human nature. Here's just a snippet of what this woman said. I picked up this book knowing that I probably wouldn't like it, but I was hoping it would surprise me. It didn't. The constant message of be you, exclamation point, grates upon my soul. Why should you be you with no sense of direction or guidance outside of your own thoughts and feelings? After all, Hitler was true to himself. Hitler followed his dreams. What if you are wrong? What if you are misguided? What if there's information that you don't have? Information you will never get because you are not willing to listen to anything but your own heart. What if on some days you are a jerk? It's important for children to have self-esteem to express their feelings and maintain a sense of honesty about who they are. But enshrining their feelings as the guide to all goodness is a super highway to disappointment and relational dysfunction. Boom. <laughs> like, that, that is so true, isn't it? 
be you without any checks or balances, without any terms or conditions, without the asterisk, basically says whatever you feel is the most important thing in the world. And that might work okay if you live on an island by yourself. But we don't. As my daughter so succinctly says it when I ask her, Maya, do you think you should be true to your heart? She says, Dad, what if my heart wants to punch you in the face? <laughs> don't, don't be you. <laughs> right? Have you ever felt something that wasn't true? Uh, my kids were just in a production of Frozen Junior, uh, famous musical. Do you remember what happens to Anna? She meets this guy. She falls for Prince Hans. She wants to marry him. And everyone thinks this is a crazy idea, but she's being true to herself. And it's a train wreck. Right? Have you ever known someone um, who battled an eating disorder? And they're real thin, but they think they're fat. Do you say to them, be you? No, you come from outside of them and you speak truth to their hearts because our hearts aren't always right. The reviewer, although she's in a very small minority, is spot on when she said, if there's, no, if there's nothing on the outside to speak to you, it's a super highway to disappointment and relational dysfunction. And that's why the Apostle Paul, in this very same chapter of the Bible, puts an asterisk on his encouragement to be you. Here's what he says in the first verses of Romans 12. Starting with verse 2, Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me read that one more time. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Only then will you be able to test and approve, circle this, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Be you? Mm -hmm. And don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And have a sense of sober judgment that your heart can be tricked or misled or deceived or selfish all the time. Instead, don't just conform to what the world tells you. Be you, be you, be you. No. Instead, be transformed. Let God renew your mind. I love this line because only then can you test and approve what God's will is. What does God want? Because what God wants is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. I think that's why in, in this metaphor where Paul says you're an important part of the body of Christ, guess who's the head of that body? Jesus. We can lose you and be okay, but chop off the head and the body's dead. So be you, but just make sure that Jesus comes first. Now, what does that look like in practice? Uh, let me give you three really practical questions you can ask yourself to make sure you're not stepping over that line and forgetting the asterisk. First question, am I humble? As I think of what makes me, Mike, different than you, as I kind of figure out, well, Pastor Michael's like this, but I'm like this, and my wife's like this, and I'm like this, and you're like that, but I'm like this, the, the big question I have to ask myself, am I maintaining a sense of humility about that? 
Oh. I had a seminary professor who said, I pray more about my strengths than I do my weaknesses. And I think that's wise. Yeah. When you have a really strict, you know, when God gives you a gift and you're really, really good at it, it's really easy to be frustrated with people who just don't do it. Like, right, super organized people here. You look around at some of your kids or your friends, your boss, you're like, what is happening? Just, just clean up. It's not that hard. There's hooks in the closet for the jacket, not here in the middle of the floor. Just do it. It's so easy, isn't it? And that's all of you, if you had like a, a camera while I was counseling and I'm grabbing my Bible looking for the chapter and the verse, you'd say, come on, Pastor Mike, just be compassionate. Just put a, just put a hand on their shoulder and tell them it's going to be, it's so easy, isn't it? And extroverts like me who love people are, are going to make laps around this church space before the service begins, talking to strangers, introducing myself. And if I would say that to some of you introverts, you'd say, just do it, it's easy. You'd say, it is not easy. Right, so the big question is, when you notice the difference, do you have the humility to say, the only reason this is easy is because God has given me a gift? It's not like I got my master's degree in mingling or memorizing. Right, just, it's, it's me and, and you're you. So when you notice the difference before the temptation makes you frustrated and angry, I have a gift and that gift is from God. Am I humble? Question number two, am I selfless? In my opinion, this is what most modern movies miss. Is this about me, my heart, my dreams, my goals, my self-actualization, or is this about the greater good of people? I do have something to offer to the world, and you do too, but can we use that to make sure we're serving other people in love? Here's how I think you can do that. It's selfless when you recognize your gift and try to do as much of it as you can. In the business world, they call this putting the right person in the right seat on the bus, right? So if you notice something at church, in your family, at work, at school, where like that's really easy for you, as often as you can, as much bandwidth as you have, fill that. Selflessly serve the people with the gift that you have. And here's the harder part. If you know you're bad at something, it is on your shoulders to ask for help. You can't throw up your hands and selflessly, selfishly say, well, I'm sorry, that's just not me. I can't set people up in our church to say, eh, I'm not the compassion guy, find someone else. Right. My job is to say, okay, how, how can my lack of strengths not be a liability to this person that God cares about? Right, so if you're not organized, if that doesn't come instinctively to you, that's okay but people are going to suffer by your disorganization unless you have the humility to ask for help. Right? Things are going to be rushed. They're going to fall through the cracks. Good people are going to be hurt unless you say, hey, everyone, like, this isn't my jam. Can anyone help? You have to be selfless enough to ask for it so the body can function as the body needs to function. Right? Ears don't need to see, but they need to make sure the eyes are working so this ends up for the good that God wants instead of the damage that it can cause. Am I selfless? Last question. It's a big one. Am I obedient? As you're looking inside of your heart, figuring out how you feel, what drives you, what you're passionate about, how you're oriented, what your desires are, the, the biggest question the Bible wants you to ask is, is this obeying God? 
right, we're gonna come back to this in, in future weeks as we try to figure out our own hearts. Should I follow my dreams? Should I give, give in to what I find inside? The question the Bible's always asking, is it obedient? Is God cool with it? Like he doesn't want you to follow your heart, he wants you to follow Jesus. In the Lord's Prayer, he didn't teach us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be my name, my will be done, and my kingdom come. No, it's about your name, God. It's about your will. That's what matters most at the end of the day. And so look inside your heart, yes, and then filter what you find there through the Bible so you make sure you're obedient. That's how you keep the asterisk on and keep it special instead of sinful. And this is what makes Jesus so incredible. Big idea for today, be you, exclamation point asterisk. Which is the perfect description of Jesus, isn't it? Have you ever thought of how unique Jesus was? There's a lot of people who have been human and Jesus was human. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all God. Like Jesus is God. But no one has been uniquely God and human in one person. Just Jesus. And his family didn't get that. Remember the part of the Bible? Actually, his own mom and his siblings try to take hold of him because he's just being too much himself. You got to come back home, Jesus. This Messiah thing is going to be a bit much. He was the unique son of God. The, the father did not die on the cross for you and the Holy Spirit did not rise on Easter morning from you. Only Jesus did that. He had a unique mission, a unique gift, a unique calling from his father in heaven. He unashamedly lived that out. He didn't let the Pharisees or his own family stop him from being himself. But think about the questions. Was he humble as he did it? Was he selfless? Did he obey his father in heaven? Yeah, let me share one last passage with you. Philippians chapter 2 says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So here's what was in Jesus' mind. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on a cross. Was he humble? Yeah. He didn't use his divinity to his own advantage. Was he selfless? He, he took on the very nature of a servant. Was he obedient? Even if it cost him his very life, he would obey the will of his Father in heaven. Friends, the reason why we magnify the name of Jesus, the reason that we follow him isn't because he knew it all and could do it all, but it's because he used his unique gifts as the Son of God to serve us, forgive us, and save us so that you and I at the end of every day could know that we are good with God and that God's not mad or disappointed but instead cherishes us as his own children. The reason we are Christians is because Christ decided to be you And it's so beautiful when we do too. <laughs> it's not easy, but when we get this right, when we humbly, selflessly, obedient serve because Jesus inspires us to do so, beautiful things happen. Let me show you a picture of one thing. 
Do you see you? It's a picture someone took a couple weeks ago at our Palm Sunday worship service. Do you see the uniqueness? You see the gifts, the parts, the functions? We call that sermon Palms Up <laughs> as we worship Jesus together. But do you see our friends, our brothers and sisters in this picture? Uh, you can probably see the musicians there on stage with unique gifts that many of you could not do, <laughs> serving humbly, selflessly. Do you see our friend Tom in this picture, though? Uh, Tom is one of the more disorganized people I've ever met in my whole life. And he's one of the most brilliant people I've ever worked with. He's the man who hand-built the cross that you see on the right side of that picture, the cross that hangs in our church. I don't care if his office is clean. If he does stuff like that, be you. Do you see Leslie in this picture? Leslie would die if she had to stand on stage and talk to you. But she's the one who week after week produces these slides that are organized and crisp and clean, that the grammar's right, the words aren't misspelled, so that when you put your palms up to Jesus, nothing distracts you. That's her gift. Do you see Amanda and Brian and Logan and Parker and Miles and Lincoln and Sawyer, the seven members of the Bame family? They're the ones who helped me out so I could prepare for my sermon, that they put palm branches on every one of the seats that you could pick them up and use them. Do you see Rich? If you're watching at home, do you see him? He's actually the guy in the green shirt back there. <laughs> you can see a little snippet of his camera there as he and people just like him allow worshipers at home to put their palms up and worship. Do you see what happens when the people who know the buttons on the cameras or can craft sermons or play instruments or help behind the scenes, when we work together, what happens? So good. So good. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about us lifting up our palms to worship the one who saved us from our sins. That's when the church is good and that is when life is great. So, my brothers and sisters, as you walk out the doors today, here's what I want you to know. Be you. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you for, for crafting people. Uh, some of us are amazed when we pull out a new phone from its box and we just see how something brilliantly designed can function and bless us. And really unwrapping the layers of a person's gifts and personality is even more exciting. To see that these people that you made in your image through Adam and Eve, that you have restored through the blood of Jesus Christ, that the Spirit has uniquely gifted, to see who they are and to see them in the spot that you intend them to be, it's not just thrilling for them, it's beautiful for us. Uh, God, the devil loves to mess with good things. I know back in Bible times and even in our times, there's impatience and there's selfishness and there's ego and there's jealousy. So protect us from all of that. Lead us not into those temptations, but deliver us from that evil. That as we work together, we would be humble enough to know that we need each other. That we would be grateful people who see each other. And that in the end, all of us together would lift up our palms and especially lift up our hearts to recognize Jesus as the head of this church, the most perfect Savior, and the one who makes us good with you. Oh God, I feel uniquely blessed um, working with the people that I work with at this church. I, I sense that people see it, even if they don't know the names, that you're doing something special here. I see the same at Time of Grace. And so I pray, not just for us, 
but for every church, for every family, for every soul. God, help parents recognize this in their children. Help spouses recognize this in one another. God, help us to do this well for your glory and for our good. We pray all these things as unique Christians who gather together as one in Jesus' name. It's in his name that we pray. And God's people said, Mm -hmm. amen.